There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Rarely going where no one has gone before. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a podcast on all the shows in the Star Trek universe of the Fangirl Zone. I am Richard Dave, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Sean Fangirl S., who still doesn't know what her rank is. And today we'll be discussing Episode 7 of Season 2 of Lower Deck. But before we jump into this, we do have some feedback from two weeks ago, Episode episode 5 from Jazz. So let's take a listen. Hello, this is Jazz with a review of Lower Deck Season 2, Episode 5. This episode was filled with Easter eggs from the various series, and I captured a few of them. I swear I saw Boothby. I love that they had a DS9 model with both Daxes, Ezri and Jadzia Dax, that they'll never finish, so they can always be working together and nobody will bug them. I love that there was a Kirk and Spock area on the bar. It was essentially Kirk and Spock drove, drank here, and then it was right next to it, it was Mariner and Boimer. That was cool, and the fact that now Boimer has to grow a beard, because all number ones have to have a beard, so that was classic. Good that Mariner and Boimer talk. Mariner is still not taking responsibilities for her actions, and if she continues on, she will run out of ships and people to annoy, which I don't think will help well when you're a captain and nobody likes you. But hopefully she'll change her stripes now that she's on uh, the Cerritos and actually seems to have some true friends. So that can make a big difference. It's always good to have good or bad times. Makes it easier if you have a buddy with you. I love that there was a Quarks on the station and Quark normally wore a green outfit or jacket and I saw someone who looked like that who was standing next to a clothing rack. So I thought that that was was a nice nod. There was Vulcans from the first contact. They had the silver, sparkly looking outfit. And there was even a Captain Pike with glasses character. And he had two beeps, which means no, like, please don't run over me. And there was a Gorn. And there was, of course, the pirate who was the DJ. And the barbers who had bald heads from DS9, who were the barbers there. I love the fact that the transporter was used to get the replicator guy to show up at the party. And then he replicated and ruined their party because they were gatekeepers and jerks. It was good that they decided to have a smaller party with just a bunch of them because they enjoyed each other's company. I thought it was an homage to all the various versions of Star Trek, as well as being very funny to see them running around in golf carts and running over everybody. So, and I'm sure that Boimer knew what he was getting into when he's like, oh, sure, I'll go do this with you. He should have known that he was going to be screaming his head off soon, but I still think he likes it more than he did the Titan. Thoroughly enjoyed the episode, loved all the homages. You could enjoy it without knowing all the Easter eggs but it did make a very nice touch. So I love the animation and voice acting. Thanks. Those are some good catches because I know yeah. I didn't catch all of those. And I know I said I was going to go back and try to find them all, but it's like, yeah, that's 
crazy. There's so many. I got a feeling she lives next door to Steve. (laughs) 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 Give her a note or something like that. Great feedback. I love that she picked up that Quark was there because I did not see that at all. The Quarks? No, not the store, but that he was supposed to be there. Was he? I mean, if she's seeing it, she probably seen more than I did. I thought she was just pointing out, well, never mind. Well, somebody who looked like he could be Quark. Yeah. But anyway, Jazz, yeah. First of all, great pickup on all of those because, like we said, we didn't get all of them. There were so many. And then just the different outfits. So I didn't even catch that it was, what's it called? Like from First Contact. So. What the Vulcans? Yeah. Like it didn't dawn on me. Because I enjoy the movies and everything, and I just don't retain, I guess, as much as everybody else does in regards to where they came into what timeline. Uh, yeah, they, they, this show definitely has a, an encyclopedic reference to all the episodes we've seen before. I mean, if you're a trekker. Remember everybody? Yeah. 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 Obviously, I'm not a good one because it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I know. But eh, maybe I guess I don't know as much as I want to know (laughs) because I don't remember any of these. That's a lot to remember. What was your uh, initial reaction overall? For this? Oh, well, sorry. Thank you, Jazz, for your feedback. We appreciate it. And we hope we hear more from you. But initial reaction for episode seven, I liked it. I I was a little worried, actually, because the way things started to play out, I was like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? But I liked it because, again, I've said before, Lower Decks is my palate cleanser for the week because it never goes to that super dark place. But it was kind of scaring me this week that it was (laughs) going to a dark place yeah at one point no but it turned out great and i loved it and i was laughing through a lot of it so bonus i know we're not rating them but if we did i would give it five out of five royal copulations i thought (laughs) i thought it was hilarious (laughs) i happened to watch the game show the hustler yeah brought up one of the questions this week was what is sildenafil and i'm like thinking well, Sildenafil is something that Lieutenant Commander Billups might want to try out because we're not working very well for him. I'm just saying. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But episode seven, where pleasant fountains lie, we have Mariner and Boimler stranded on an uninhabited planet with a sentient computer. On the Cerritos, Lieutenant Command- Commander Billups must prove his engineering abilities to an old adversary. That's kind of a rough description. I mean, An old adversary. <laughs> yeah. I know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a cold open for it, too. I like, um, you know what? I was trying to fit my theory around this if they, before I had even seen the episode. That one of my tinfoil hat theories is that uh, William, the uh, other Boimler that's on the Titan, yeah. is going to be stranded somewhere and they were going to have SEX. <laughs> and, and then reveal that it was really William. So they didn't go there. I guess it's only me that's thinking about SEX. So Freeman and Ransom are securing an evil computer, which was hilarious. Agamus, which is uh, responsible for manipulating a society to fight a war over the last century. Agamus tries to get them to plug him into a mainframe, but Ransom is not fooled and has him packed away, given to the Daystrom Institute. Another reference. Yeah, after to, like, bring Picard now, because they hadn't talked about Daystrom before Picard, right? I'm not sure. Oh, wait. Yeah, I think they did. Anyway, after returning to the Cerritos, they receive a hail from Nastasia Moneven and Panola, queen of uh, Hyperians. Did I say that about Polona? How about Polona? Appears on screen. Another chesty character, too. Freeman asks her 
what they can do for her. And she says that Monavine, is it Monavine? Mono, Monovine, huh, is having engine trouble with her engineers are unable to solve the quest to help with the chief engineer since the Cerritos is the closest starship vessel in range. I guess we should start smelling a rat there. Yeah. Freeman. Is it, is it the only yeah. one Freeman is unsurprised as Andy Billups enters the bridge. As he enters, Paulona excitedly greets him with a barrage of questions. Billups sighs and annoys and replies, Hello, mother. That was a little strange for me, but it's very Deanna Troy. Yeah, very much. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was classic. In the lower deck's crew bunks, Mariner notices Boimler cleaning a phaser rifle as he's going to be going <laughs> on a mission to wrangle giant centipedes on Dan. Boimler calls her jealous of his mission since she will again be taking Agamus to the Daystrom Institute, and he's happy that Ransom is taking his experience aboard the Titan a little more seriously. And right when he said this, I'm just like, oh, things are going to go awry. I just knew things were going to go awry. I was thinking, dude, how long were you on the Titan? Oh, yeah, it wasn't very long. Not that long. (laughs) Boimler. However, as he says this, he gets a message on his pad to report for reassignment, as he will be joining Mariner on her trip to Daystrom Institute, much to his disappointment. (laughs) Cerritos rendezvous with the monitor, and Billups addresses engineering that his mother will be aboard and reminds them of her usual deceptions. Rutherford is confused by what he means, and Billups has to tell him that his mother is Queen of Hysperia, which is his homeworld. Upon joining Starfleet, he abdicated his birthright as prince. Okay, doesn't sound too (laughs) bad so far, but then. However, it's never approved of him joining Starfleet and is actively trying to trick him into engaging in sexual intercourse, since by Hesperian law, if he were to lose his virginity, he would be forced to resign from Starfleet and take his place as King of Hysperia. Just wondering, (laughs) what? I mean, you're just going to assume he... he's going to tell you and be honest, or is there some other way? <laughs> Forced to announce. <laughs> He'll walk around with a different glow. Hey, you seem different today. Yeah, it was just like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think sex is something that I really wanted to have, like a big conversation with the entire kingdom, not just like <laughs> your family. Talk about awkward. Let's really get awkward, apparently. But we have Polana entering engineering, and Phillips tells her that he will not be tricked into having sex. It's all mad about it. Well, not. I know. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Weird conversations, to say the least. But she assures him, <laughs> I'm not here to do that. And just the way the conversation was going was uncomfortable anyway. It's like, ugh, yeah, stop. Saying that while she still sees his career as insignificant, she realizes that trying to coerce him into sex is only pushing him away. Again, stop, stop. I'm going to talk to Strangest plot line ever. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hilarious. She tells him that her ship's engines have been breaking down and they cannot find the problem. Worried that Hysperia will be defenseless without them, she asks for Billups to help her. Not as prince, but as an engineer. Billups accepts this request and assigns Rutherford to assist him. Everything seems pretty good, and I knew something wasn't going to be right. Rutherford is quite nervous about assisting Billups as he feels that he's out of his element on the Monavi, but Tendi assures him that he belongs there just as much as anyone else, because Tendi is so super hype girl. Get out of your comfort zone! Trying to help her friend. I think it's great. She asks him if he can truly turn down working on a new engine he's never seen before. And Rutherford admits that it would be interesting to see how a different engine works. Tendi mm-hmm. gives him a 
further encouragement before bombarding him with advice on how to behave around the crew of the ship, making him even more nervous. Uh, yeah, you're throwing it out. Maybe you should learn to curtsy. Maybe you should do this. Maybe it's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Slow it down there, attendee. Mariner and Boimler are on, on a shuttlecraft headed for Earth, and Mariner tries to cheer Boimler up, who is still disappointed that he got reassigned to this mission. She tells them that once they drop Agamemnon off, they'll go grab some Okinawan ramen. But as she says this, the shuttlecraft lurches violently and begins to spiral out of control. They quickly realize that they've hit a gravimetric shear, which weren't we just talking about this last episode? And they're caught in a gravity well. It's like, those were the, the things that the other red shirts were telling them, okay, you have to talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess if you talk it up, it happens. They lose there you go, control. jinx. <laughs> they find themselves careening toward the surface of a desert planet and crash into the surface. Mariner and Boimler regain consciousness after the crash. Mariner suffers a fracture on her arm, but pops it back into place before taking a reading on her tricorder. Pretty tough. She determines the atmosphere is, atmosphere is breathable. That should have been obvious right away. <laughs> and looks outside, noting a large amount of wreckage around them. Boimler reports that the shuttlecraft systems are down and that they are unable to send a distress call. And since they're... That's like in every show we watch where you can't get a cell service. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, it's since they are outside communication rate will be at least a week before anyone notices they are missing, which always happens on TV, too. Mariner notes that at least the replicator has survived and orders some iced tea, but the replicator instead replicate black licorice, much to her dismay. That was, Man, was, yeah, that was I, funny. I don't like black licorice, so I'm like, ooh. It's like, this is the worst. I agree. <laughs> it's, it's red licorice that's popular in our household. At that moment, they hear a call for help and move some wreckage aside to see that Agamus is the source of the Source of the voice. At first, I didn't think it was, too. Oh, right. It's the evil computer. As they are prohibited from interacting with him, Boyman tries to close the case he's in, but the case is too badly damaged to close. Agamus tries to reason with them, saying his he's able to contact help and ask them to let him help. Further, Rutherford and Bill bore them on a beam, and Billups tells Rutherford that Hyperion culture can be quite distracting and to be ready for it. They walk past numerous family portraits and enter a majestic room that is based heavily on designs mirrored in the Renaissance. Rutherford is astounded by the environment, though Billups is less than impressed and annoyed that the crew of the Monavine enthusiastically welcome him back. They make their way to the engine room where Polona briefs them about the problem using terminology that confuses Rutherford as Hesperians rename their equipment to make everything sound more magic. That was funny, though. It was. They began to inspect the levels of the primary fusion reactor called the Dragon's Blood Flame. Rutherford notes how the uh, subspace field matrix should be online. Phillips notes that with the matrix offline, the, the plasma levels would be unregulated, and Polona asks if this is a problem is too much for him to handle, much to his annoyance. I thought he, he was th- going to, like, give his mom a smackdown. I'm just saying. I know. He says that they will need to run a full diagnostic, and Polona leaves with her guards as Billups and Rutherford begin their work back on the planet. Mariner and Boimler are eating some emergency rations, and Agamus voices concern about Boimler's health, and Mariner warns him that talking to Agamus will result in letting his guard down with Agamus. Yeah, it's kind of like a Eclipso making you see things that aren't there, like brainwaves. Yeah. Agamus offers, yes, more crossover. As Agamus power, offers to power a sonic shower for them if they connect him to an engineering conduit, but he offers this, a creature roars in the distance and charges at them. They fire their phasers at the creature, but it resists their phaser fire, and they retreat back into the shuttlecraft and realize the creature is eating the rest of their ration. Oh! While they hold back the creature, Agamus connects to the Mariner's pad and initiates a data transfer before Mariner cuts him off. Mariner. That's like leaving, you know, little purple diamond pieces, you know, right. on a, just covered by a cloth. Find them. 
who does that? Agabus apologizes and says he won't cause any trouble. Brother. The next morning, Mariner... Oh, yeah. The next morning, Mariner tries to replicate some water only for the replicator to replicate some more licorice. And Agamus offers to fix the replicator. Formula notes that they will need to find water soon. And since... I like the, how they get bags under their eyes. And since there's life on this planet, it's safe to assume there's water nearby. Agamus uh, offers to guard the computer while they go look for water. And Boyman begins to trap him to his chest. Like one of the colors baby things. A baby Bjorn. <laughs> a baby Bjorn. <laughs> Mariner wonders why they don't just bury him, but Boyman reminds her that as Starfleet officers, they must respect sentient life. This is probably when his plan started forming, I guess. They journey through the desert and eventually come upon a tree that bears fruit, and Mariner offers to climb up and get it, but Boyman decides to climb up instead due to her fractured arm, and the fact that he took up rock climbing on a Titan. Even I was getting sick of the references by then. Mariner expresses her frustration that she is getting tired of him constantly talking about the time on the Titan, but Boyman just believes that she's jealous that he's picking up more of her skills. Boimler ends up falling from the tree, and when Mariner teases him, he kicks the tree in frustration, causing some of the fruit to fall. They realize the fruit is filled with a liquid, and they eagerly grab the fruits and quench their thirst, only to find the liquid tastes exactly like black licorice. Of course it made it. I'm just- <laughs> That'd be gross. Because that is exactly what ouzo tastes like, if you I know. Ouzo. Yeah, I, I don't know why people drink it. No offense. They continue to drink it reluctantly, while Agamus says that he's, he could have fixed their replicator and tempts him, saying that he could, he could be enjoying a, a cheeseburger, a blueberry muffin, or, or some guacamole. But up with them, Boiler and Mariner bury him in the sand as he protests. Later that night, Agamus is unearthed by some crabs that carry him away. Boiler chases... Yeah, I thought it was Yeah, I know, it was hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> Boiler chases the crabs away, and, and as thanks, he reveals to Boiler that he has accessed the memory banks of the ship and shows him exchange between Mariner and Ransom, in which Mariner asks Ransom to take Boimler off the mission to dance. Angry, Boimler approaches Mariner and berates her, pulling him from the mission. At I first I thought he was making it up. Yeah. I couldn't believe that she did that. It's like, oh, that's not cool, Mariner. It's like, I know you guys are like BFF, yeah. but that's not cool. A little strange for Ransom to acquiesce to it, too. Is he that lazy? <laughs> supposed to be like the hero type. And like, yeah, go ahead. What, I, Dave, are we I don't watching care. the same show? Well, considering the captain does some, goes out for drinks with her, <laughs> as soon as they solve a case, oh, let's go for a drink and they leave the bridge. Mariner realizes that Agamus revealed this to him, tells him that Agamus is deliberately trying to get them to fight, but Boimler is convinced. He is part of Calypso. He's angry that he'll make Ransom believe that he's not ready for a heart attack, and Mariner says that the fact that he's being so easily manipulated by Agamus only proves that. Whoa. She picks Agamus up and refuses to let Boimler close to it. On Amonavine, Rutherford is impressed with the speed at which Billups is able to recalibrate the planet ejectors. Did you think something romantic was going to happen between them? I was or- a little worried. I will tell you that. Were you? Okay. Like, oh, <laughs> what are we doing? What's going on? I know. I thought that was part of the setup. I'm like, is this where we're going? Find some faulty resonators that are degrading from, from all the resonance. Billups finds it odd they didn't come up with that in the initial scan. Mm-hmm. Polona declares the Royal Navy is saved and the crew cheers for Billups and Rutherford. She admits that she is impressed, but will only be proud when he takes her place on the Hesperian throne. That moment, Freeman calls Billups to report to her ready room. Billups instructs Rutherford to finish up and that he will be back. Billups reports to Freeman, and Freeman admits that she only called him over because she assumed his mother would be up to her usual antics. She uh, had some insight. Billups admits there has been... What? I was going to say, yeah. She knew more than we really thought. Yeah. But do you think that it would have worked out the same way had she not called him over? Nope. I don't think so. This is a narrative device, I thought. Anyway, Billups admits that things have been different this time and believes she finally respects him. Freeman understands 
Alana's position as a mother, and that she really wants the best for Billups. And at that moment, a massive, massive explosion rips a hole in the side of the Amana bean, much to their horror. Yeah. At the same time, when he admits that, it's like, oh, again, things are going to go awry. Because it's like, I think she finally believes in me. <laughs> nope. That's exactly yeah. what I thought. I totally believed it. I don't know. Freeman and Billups rush back to the Amana bean where the crew is in disarray, confused on what happened. Billups is at a loss for what happened as the readings he took were, were nominal. At that moment, one of the Polona's royal guards approaches the Neils, holding Polona's scarf and laments, long live the queen, the queen is dead. Back in the Cerritos sick bay, Dr. Ta'ana approaches Tendi, reluctant, tells her that there was an accident on the Amana bean. I was buying into it. I'm like, oh no. Well, yeah, when that, that all happened, I was like, holy crap. And then with Dr. Tiana looking really, like, upset, like she didn't want to tell Tendi. Yeah. I was like, wow, this this is getting a little darker than I was expecting. I was like, oh my gosh, they can't kill off Rutherford. I thought they did. I was Tendi freaking said, out. I know. Tendi says she can prepare for triage, but before she can say anything else, Tiana hands her a pad, which lists Rutherford is killed in the accident. And I was like, I can't do this. She rushes over to see the massive hull breach and begins to cry. Like, I totally bought into it. So they killed off Rutherford. Just, not yeah. that. I was not cool at all. Funniest episode they ever had, and they kill off a character. I was like, what the hell is going on? Right. And that's why I was like, Wait, this can't be real, right? This can't be real. And then I'm thinking, okay, this is an animated show. Quit freaking out so much. But still, it's one of those things like, oh my God, they're just going to start dropping our characters now. Yeah. We get enough of that in Doctor Who. Can we not get that here? <laughs> like too many of my characters that I love are being killed off everywhere. But <laughs> Mariner and Boiler come upon a ship and they discover that the engines are in fact intact. But the hatch that leads into the ship are sealed shut. It's easy to say. Agamus offers to open the door, but Mariner's like, I'll go check another ship. And Boimler objects, saying that Agamus can get them in right here. And this is where I was getting worried, because the argument was starting to heat up, and I was like, again, what's happening to our people? It's a clip tool, I'm telling you. <laughs> Mariner says that she's, since the crash, Agamus has done nothing but try to connect to a computer. And Boimler's like, yeah, but I thought you'd be willing to do anything to get out of here. And if Agamus could help, why not? And she's like, oh, that's a stupid idea because he's a super villainous computer. Duh. <laughs> Boimler demands Mariner to give Agamus to him because she's carrying him right now. And she's like, no, you're too naive. Boimler then charges Mariner. What? Yeah. tackles her to the ground, sick of her bossy nature. And watching this fight that's now happening, Agamus, of course. Oh He's my like a I'm evil emperor on Star Trek. Good, good. <laughs> Mariner approaches Agamus and Boiler pulls out his phaser, threatening to stun her. Well, at least it was only stun. Mariner I guess. Wow. I love, and you know, every time somebody says this, you're like, why? Why do you say this? Oh, I don't believe you're going to shoot me. And then he, <laughs> it's like, has nobody ever watched a show ever? Yeah. It's basically happened. Agamus assures Boimler that you had no other choice. Let's get to the ship. Plug me in. <laughs> yeah, you're a little too too excited there, Agamus. He, you have to admit, he was the, the funniest oh, evil yeah. computer. I. <laughs> oh, my God. His last name is Combs that did. Yeah. Jeff yeah. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. From. It was Awesome. Reanimator. If you've never seen it, go watch it because it's like you got that weird vibe too here. But it's fun. And I loved how well he did everything with this, by the way. Boimler takes Agamemnon.
Freeman's to the door, and he successfully gets the door open. Back on the street house, though, Freeman is going over the casualty list, and Billups enters the room, followed by two Hesperian royal guards. She expresses her deepest condolences, and Billups regretfully says that he must resign from Starfleet. He says that, I was trying to prove something to my mother the whole time, and all it did was get people killed. Okay, that's a little over the top, but okay. It's not like you set up the ship to blow up. While Freeman tries to convince him otherwise, Billups says that he has a throne that's now vacant, and the Hyperians need him. I have to step up as king, and I must royal copulation. <laughs> I no longer have the luxury of being your chief engineer. I just could get past the royal copulation part. I know, it was hilarious. So obviously he could never be a Riker in this show, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Is that when he ripped off his shirt? I can't remember when he ripped off his shirt. Maybe that comes later. I don't know. It was so funny. Of course, naturally underneath the shirt, he's all muscular. Aren't they all? Somehow when they take off their shirts, it's like, wait, what? Where'd those six packs come from? <laughs> she asks if he's sure that he wants to do this, and Billups replies he doesn't and wishes him luck. And Billups is escorted out of the ready room by the royal guard as they leave. And this was... <laughs> hurt. Yeah. A little sad, but okay. Tendy's still in shock of what happened, but refuses to believe that Rutherford's dead. She goes to the computer and asks them, ask it to locate Rutherford. The computer detects Rutherford's cybernetic implants on the monovine. Realizing that the implant is still transmitting, Tendy realizes that Rutherford could still be alive and rushes to get to the ship. Apparently, nobody on the monovine thought about that. Or anybody on the Cerritos. Yeah. Back on the planet, Mariner regains consciousness while Boimler and Agamus make their way to the bridge of the downed spacecraft. Boimler asks if Agamus is sure the ship can still fly, and Agamus assures Boimler that, oh yeah, I can bring the whole ship online when I access the computer. <laughs> All I kept thinking is, yeah, it might be able to fly, doesn't mean it's going to have atmosphere in there for you, because the computer <laughs> doesn't need an atmosphere. You know, there's the holes. <laughs> there was holes all over that thing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because Boimler, I thought would be like, but what about this giant crack in the window or this giant? Yeah. But he gives him access to the navigation controls, but realizes that the access port is locked behind a panel and that we need auxiliary power to open it. So Agnes offers up his own battery to use, which Boimler connects to the console. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is so bad. But the ship's power comes on, much to Agamus's delight. And I was worried. I'm like, Boimler, you're going to die. He's going to kill you off. <laughs> I'm like, no, not another not another one in this one that was kind of funny. Don't kill everybody. On the monovine, Tendi is regretting convincing Rutherford to take up this mission. And she comes on up upon a fancy dining room where the crew of the monovine are merry and eating a grand feast of mutton. What is mutton? I still don't know. It's lamb. Is it? Oh. Yeah. Now I know, and knowing's half battle. <laughs> Tendy spots Rutherford, who is alive, unharmed, and is quite happy right now. And she tackles him in, well, her joy. Yeah. And she asks how he survived the explosion. And Rutherford's like, what are you talking about? And he was transported here by the Polana, oh, by Polana, for doing such a good job with the engines. And at that moment, Polana, who is very much alive, raises a glass and a toast for her son, who will soon be king, since he is in the process of losing his royal virginity. <laughs> Realizing that Billups has been tricked into giving up his career as an engineer, Rutherford scolds her that Billups doesn't want to be the king, and Polana only replies that, I don't care, he shouldn't have been wasting his time on the Cerritos anyway. I was like, wow, mom changed her too quick. Yep. Rutherford tried to contact Billups, but a loot player... <laughs> A magic melody that's blocking the combat is Rutherford. Like I, I was going to say it's like Isaac Bowen. Oh, like the violin. Violin. <laughs> From 
Stargirl. Crossovers right. everywhere. People, crossovers everywhere. Rutherford rushes out of the dining hall, eager to stop Billups from losing his free- <laughs> This is the weirdest thing that I've ever talked about. I'm telling you this right now. And I've yeah. talked about some weird stuff. So <laughs> this is just a strange conversation we're all having amongst the fandom. Polona mocks him that he's too late because, oh my god, my royal guards are trained from birth to skip foreplay. It's like, how? I know. Wow. What? Who wrote skip. this? I know. Rutherford rushes as fast as he can as Billups gets ready to give himself to two Hyperion royal guards. And Rutherford barges into Billups' quarters, worried that he was not in time to stop the act. And this is where I was like, oh, okay. However, Billups is in the bathroom, having trouble with little Billups. And Rutherford rushes to him, saying that everything was just a trick by his mother, much to Billups' joy. Now, when Billups decided to get undressed with those with the royal guard, I'm like, oh, apparently Starfleet doesn't give out undressed. Is that what we're saying here? Because he was going commando. I, uh, I'm not sure I should share this, but when Bill rushes in and he gets the good news, I thought all of a sudden, Boimler, I mean, uh, Phillips was going to get his mojo, if you know what I mean. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved it, though, because the two royal, royal guards are just like, I know. See, maybe they shouldn't have skipped the foreplay then. That's right. <laughs> Wait, I'm not going to go there either. <laughs> <laughs> As Boimler and Agamus are connected to the ship. Mariner rushes to the bridge to try to stop Boimler, but Agnes boasts that she's too late. And then we get a whole, like, villain monologue happening. Because with the materials on the ship, I'll be able to produce a fleet of murderous drones, and I will control the whole system with them before mocking Boimler for trusting him. Boimler then reveals that I didn't trust you. I used you. And uh, we needed your battery so I can transmit a distress signal. But you were too busy scheming to notice. And Agnes is flustered that he was told he's plugged into the NAVCOM. So what are you talking about? But Boimler's like, actually, you're just plugged into the dimmer for that. (laughs) You're nowhere near the NAVCOM. And Uh. I thought that was great because... I was really worried about what was happening with Boimler this episode. Yeah. And Mariner was impressed with Boimler, saying, wow, you you did this. I really thought you were siding with it. Agamus. Boimler's the only one. <laughs> yeah, right? Got everybody thinking that. But I'm sorry for lying and stunning you, but I just needed to get Agamus to trust me so that I could access his battery. And Agamus is enraged at this revelation and tries to blind them by, well, flicking the lights <laughs> off and on. That was so funny. Oh, my gosh. I'm seriously like, how are you a voice actor doing this <laughs> and not losing it? Like, when you know how the story's coming together, how do you not just crack yeah. up? Maybe it's a little so easier because you're not face-to-face with the people. Maybe. But, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if I'd be able to get through it. How many outtakes have you seen from shows where they're always cracking each other up? Right? Oh my gosh. So I could totally imagine how this would work out if they were face-to-face. Mm. Back on the Cerritos, Billups is confronting Paulana over trying to trick him once again by faking your own death, saying, I love my life here in Starfleet, and I don't want to live in Hysperia, even if that means that I'll be a virgin for the rest <laughs> of my life. And again, still thinking, not like she's there with you if you're going to have <laughs> boom chicka wow wow. Nobody's going to necessarily know that unless they're a spy, I guess. Polana is unconvinced but leaves while the engineering crew cheers for Billup. That's, again, kind of weird. Yay, you're going I know, it's so funny. <laughs> Bill up, Bill up. <laughs> Tendi apologizes Rutherford for pushing him into working on the Monavine, but Rutherford says, oh, I loved working on it, though. It's like, all right, <sighs> except for the weird blow-up part. I'm sure it was great. Rutherford said that there more than likely will be times where his jobs will put him in danger, but we can handle that, and Tendi seems 
nervous about that aspect of the job. I'm like, oh, is she like starting to mother him now? Or are we going to get feelings? Feeling. I guess it's kind of weird if you're lower decks, you can't exactly just take them back to your room. Yeah. Since the room is a hallway. Right? It's like, oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mariner and Boimler have been rescued by Starfleet, and Agavith is along for the ride in route to Earth. And Agavith tells Mariner and Boimler that, you know, you've shown me that trust and friendship is <laughs> better than manipulation, and I'm ready to try it being good for a change. Sure you are. Wow. He claims to have deleted his manipulative subroutines and asked to be taken to Starfleet Academy so he can apply to be a Starfleet officer. Yeah, let me just plug into one of their computers. Ultimately, he's delivered to Daystrom and locked in a self-aware megalomaniac computer storage. I did not catch that that's what it was called. This is one of the best written episodes they've had. It was so clever. There were so many sentient computers. <laughs> like, wow. It's like super lock up for them, I guess. It's still, it's still powered up, too, yeah. so they can fight with you. As he's locked up, he vows that he will conquer this lab and take over the Federation and kill everyone. And <laughs> Agamus proclaims this. Another computer activates and says he will annihilate the Federation before Agamus does, causing another one yet to activate and declare his own evil plans. As they continue to argue, more and more computer inmates activate and overlap each other because they're all going to bring the Federation down. <sighs> and their plans for conquering the Federation, yada yada, <laughs> figure it out because there were so many. And I thought, uh, is this a go-to? Like, back in the day, it's like, evil computer. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, for sure. Apparently, there were... I know. No, it, it's just making fun of how they, they use uh, evil computers as a, you know, a narrative or plot point. It was good. It goes back to the original series. He was Nomad. Yeah, he called it Nomad. He was to float around the original Enterprise, eventually having to kill everybody. Gosh, it was just so great how all of it, like with all of the different computers, it's like, uh, I wanted to know more about the computers. Like, give me a little, oh, the crew of Deep Space Nine found this one, or Enterprise, you know, like label them so I know what's going on. I'm surprised there wasn't a Nomad stuck in one of those things and activated. They should have done that for, for, for a, a series that's always referring to uh, backstories. They, they, you'd think that was one of the most obvious ones. They blew it. We caught him. Maybe it was in there, and like it's one of them that were higher up, and we just didn't catch Yeah, maybe. Anyway, ready for a few Easter eggs? Oh, let's go. Speaking of the evil computers, that scene at the Daystrom Institute at the end of the episode, one of them bears the CBS logo. What? <laughs> yeah. Why oh, did my God. That? I did not catch that. Uh, so the inter the episode also introduces Andy Billups' mother and explores more of Billups' backstory, which I'm not sure we needed to know, but now we do. Pretty crazy. It further explains Ensign Barnes's characterizing Billups in second contact as having weak interactions with women. Aha! Knowing how to talk to women is kind of a guy's final frontier. <laughs> and now, this is the first episode of Lower Decks to feature scenes on or near Earth. The Daystrom Institute is previously seen in Picard's Remembrance. I so when's our Easter? Talked about in any other of uh, the series. I just knew Picard because that's the most. Yeah. Well, still going to call him out on missing Nomad. Well, now you got to rewatch and see if Nomad's okay in one of those cells. Okay. If you even remember what it looked like. Oh sure. I got to go back to see the one with the CBS logo. I didn't catch that. That's funny though. CBS making fun of itself. Well, you know how we feel about this episode because I was cracking up, got a little nervous. I think Dave was pretty much the same. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but we want to know what you feel about 
this episode and each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us as there are a lot of Star Trek Lower Decks podcasts out there. Tell your friends and I hope you like our podcast. Don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. You can go over to www.fangirlzone.com, click on our contacts page and all the various ways to get a hold of us via Twitter, via Facebook, via emails directly to us. And please, please contact us because I want you guys to stump Steve and Dave because they have so many things that have stumped me. I want somebody to stump them. Come on. (laughs) The eighth episode is September 30th entitled, "Eh, we don't know, as usual. So until I'll remember. I'm Sean Fangirl S. And maybe turn your computers off when you're done. Yeah. And I'm Redshirt Dave. And I was eaten by an arthropod yesterday. It um, ejected me this morning while it was sitting on its throne. <laughs>